0: I couldn't help but think that there was something more that I can do than just shed tears. In the wake of 9-11, I tried to see what would be a good fit between my skill set as an attorney and what's available out there from both a law enforcement and a private sector perspective. I had to rule out law enforcement because my wife didn't want me carrying guns or being shot at. And so I went down the path of looking in private industry, what I can do, and came across anti-money laundering compliance, which I thought was fascinating And I said to myself, I need a way for me to be able to get into that so that I can start making a difference.
1: For almost all Americans, 9-11 is the seminal event in the history of our country. For the first time since December 7th, 1941, the U.S. mainland was attacked. 9-11 unleashed forces and changes in America unlike since the 20 years of the Great Depression and World War II. This special six part podcast series will look at these changes from the perspective of compliance professionals who are impacted by 9 11 and the changes to their areas of compliance.
2: Hello, this is Vid Ciani, founder and president of Affiliated Monitors. On September 11, 2001, it was a few years before I started the company. I was still working as an attorney in a Boston law firm. That morning, I was taking a deposition in our conference room at 50 Rose Wharf, which looked out at the Boston Harbor towards Logan Airport. It was around 8.45 a.m. when we looked out at the airport and noticed that all of the air traffic had stopped. Since Logan's a busy airport, it was very strange and disconcerting. Even the usual boat traffic on the harbor had stopped that morning. We then noticed some snipers on the top of the new U.S. courthouse, which we faced. We knew something was wrong then. When we finally started watching the news, reality at home. I lost my childhood best friend that day, who was killed when a plane hit the second tower. It was such a profoundly sad day that will remain with me forever. I hope you find this special podcast series moderated by Tom Fox and sponsored by Affiliated Monitors to cause you to remember that impactful day.
3: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode on Look Back on 9-11 podcast series. Today I have with me Gabe Hidalgo. Gabe is a managing director at K2 Integrity. And Gabe has one of the most personal stories that I've heard. I've had the privilege to interview Gabe on uh, some other podcasts. And so, Gabe, first of all, thank you for joining me and taking the time to visit with me on this very personal project where I'm commemorating the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. Gabe, what was your profession and what was your job
0: on 9-11? So back 20 years ago on 9-11, I was actually outside counsel for insurance companies. I was working at a firm in uh, Garden City, New York. So my typical routine would be a reverse commute. I was living in Queens at the time. So it would be a reverse commute from Queens to Garden City each and every day. And actually that morning, I remember getting into my car. Uh, It's very vivid to me. And I was driving from my home to the office in Garden City when on the radio, I heard that a small plane had hit the tower. For me, it was a bit odd uh, because it was kind of a clear day and there was really no weather elements, no fog. It wasn't super cloudy. So for me, that was odd that that had happened. Then I got into the office and luckily for me, our office was one of the newer offices. And so therefore, we had broadband internet, which back then was a big thing. You know, not many people had that. And so we had all installed Yahoo TV on our PCs and we were able to like follow trends on the news, different news stories. But at the time Yahoo TV was basically live streaming what was happening at the World Trade Center. And it was approximately, I believe two to three minutes after I arrived and turned on Yahoo TV that I saw the second plane hit. At that point I knew that it wasn't an accident. I'm a voracious reader. So I'd been doing some research on Al Qaeda in Afghanistan. And I knew that this was kind of a a hallmark moment that this was not an accident two planes hitting the world trade center in succession on the same day within minutes of each other was something that was planned and then you know then you heard about what happened at the pentagon uh, but in the meantime you saw smoke pouring out from the two buildings and it really it was like nothing i had ever gone through in my life seeing that was crazy
3: gabe you've talked about how much the event personally impacted you. I was wondering if you could describe what you felt at that time and then what that led to in your profession. Sure.
0: So at the time, no one knew it, but my wife and I were pregnant with our first child probably about a month, maybe two months in. My wife worked in Midtown. Being on Long Island, I was very far away from the city. There was all this commotion and talk about how there's so many planes in the air. How many of those planes are also weapons to be used similarly to what happened at the World Trade Center? There was talk about how the Pentagon was had just been hit. There was talk about how there were plane, other planes in the area. No one knew if Congress was a target. There were other buildings in New York that were going to be targets. The thing about New York is we're full of skyscrapers. So there's tons of targets that were available. My wife, being that she worked in Midtown, I told my boss at the time I needed to go try and pick her up and get her out of there. So my boss let me go. He let me leave early. I started making my way down the different expressways in Long Island to try and get to New York. But one after another, the National Guard had shut down all the expressways that were leading into the city. It was the first time i had ever seen that much military equipment on a residential area in the United States. I'd never seen that before. Personnel carriers, Humvees, all these different vehicles, blocking the road, not letting any cars through. Being resourceful, I used back streets and little connectors between Nassau County and Queens to get as far as Forest Hills. I kept calling my wife on our cell phone, but the problem was that all the cell phone signals were jammed. I was finally able to get through and I told her just to get out of there as quickly as possible. I'm trying to make my way into New York City, but I kept getting blocked by military vehicles or police barricades. I made it as far as past Forest Hills, about to get into Long Island City before I couldn't go any further. But that's when I got a call from my wife that she, in fact, had made it onto a city bus, one of the last few city buses leaving Manhattan, coming back into Queens. And she was heading back to pick up her car and and we could meet at our home. When we both got out and we were back home, we hugged each other and then we were just glued to the TV watching what happened. The towers collapsed. You saw a Just a bunch of rubble, a big smoke cloud that erupted when the towers collapsed. We couldn't believe it. We were in tears. We were highly emotional. We weren't the only ones. Uh, We could hear through the walls our neighbors also crying as they witnessed what we were witnessing. This was an event like no other. Days after 9-11, we kept seeing reports and videos of people who lost loved ones during that time. One specific memory that I have from that time was my wife and I were watching, I believe it was ABC or NBC had a special about the widows of people who had passed away at 9-11. Some of them were pregnant and those unborn children were not going to know their their fathers because they had perished in the tower collapse. And that hit us very hard. We cried a lot that day along with them. I couldn't help but think that there was something more that I can do than just shed tears. In the wake of 9-11, I tried to see what would be a good fit between my skill set as an attorney and what's available out there from both a law enforcement and a private sector perspective. I had to rule out law enforcement because my wife didn't want me carrying guns or being shot at. And so I went down the path of looking in private industry, what I can do and came across anti-money laundering compliance, which I thought was fascinating. And I said to myself, I need a way for me to be able to get into that so that I can start making a difference. I was lucky enough to land a role with a local money service business in Queens that had a global footprint and was looking for a director of legal compliance. I applied, I was interviewed, and the first thing I told the hiring manager was, even though I don't have any AML experience, I just need about 30 days to get up to speed. But on the legal front, I'd be able to cover them completely. Within those 30 days, I read everything I could. I looked at every single document that I could in regards to AML. And, you know, little did I know that they were also <laughs> about to be examined. So I had to, um, on just on the run, look at their policy and procedures that they had in place because New York State was about to come in to do an examination, rewrite a lot of those policies and procedures, and basically put into practice everything I read about AML. Luckily for me, the examination went great. The examiner was surprised that I had just arrived and was able to do so much, not having worked in that field before. To be honest with you, the AML felt like the perfect fit for me, given what I wanted to do was to help as much as I could, to help to prevent anything like this happening in our country. We've been geographically fortunate that we're surrounded by oceans, and we've been spared a lot of the heartache that other countries have experienced through terrorism and attacks like this. But this is the wake-up call. This was the the time for, I think, the whole country to to wake up and realize that we're not as isolated as we think. We're not as protected as we think. And we would need to do things to protect ourselves and to also try and detect these types of schemes or plots before they're actually implemented. And so for me, AML was the perfect fit. I've enjoyed it ever since I I started back in 2004. 2024, it'll be 20 years. But to be honest with you, this whole process began 20 years ago uh, with 9-11. And that's what really spurred me into action.
3: Gabe, during your time in the AML world, you've worked to help companies and clients put in anti-terrorist financing and AML policies. Do you feel like we've been able to advance first from the legal side to address some of these issues, but also from the business or compliance side to not only respond to new or different legislation or companies more hardened from uh, being used in such attacks?
0: I think if you were to examine the the see the sweeping changes that have occurred in the last 20 years uh, between what compliance programs looked like back then versus what they are now, it's a magnitude of you know hundreds and hundreds of times more difficult for those funds to be moved the way they were moved for the 9/11 plot. No program is perfect, but I can tell you. From my experience, and I've been a regulator, I've worked for the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, I've seen these programs in place, even when there were opportunities to enhance what they were doing, a lot of institutions have strengthened and hardened their compliance programs to the point where you know they can monitor individual transactions as they're moving across the transactional workflow in the United States. They examine each and every transaction that's coming across from a correspondent banking perspective, which is probably one of the most high-risk channels for money movement if you want to move money from abroad to finance terrorism in the United States. The amount of work that my colleagues and my peers in the AML field have done in the last 20 years has been immense. And every time there's a regulatory change, every time that there is some new guidance that comes out, they've done an amazing job to adjust to it. I am glad to be part of this field. I'm glad to be part of the brotherhood and sisterhood of people that are trying to keep this country safe. For me, and I know for a lot of my peers and a lot of my colleagues, this is not just a job. It's a method by which we can help maintain some safety here in the United States doing our part without being a part of law enforcement. But yet law enforcement does use the information that we've provided through suspicious activity reports to at times stop or even apprehend people who are plotting or you know, scheming to have another one of these types of things happen again in the United States. And as you can see in the last 20 years, we haven't had anything that approaches the size and scale of a 9-11. There have been plots similar, but they have not, there's not been something like a 9-11 that's, that's happened. However, that doesn't mean that we can be complacent. It doesn't mean that we can stop. But yes, I'm very proud of the efforts that my peers and my colleagues have done, as well as the work that law enforcement has done to take that information that we provide and to conduct their investigations, to stop any type of plots that we like, like what we saw with 9-11.
3: Gabe, as we come up with our 20th anniversary of 9-11, I'd like to now ask, what did it mean for America from your perspective?
0: The, the anniversary, to be honest with you, will, is a dark one. Many people perished not knowing why they were having their lives taken away from them. You know, the Twin Towers was a symbol of New York, of the prosperity of New York of the country. In years prior to 9-11, many a time I had family that came from Ecuador to come visit. We would always take them to the World Trade Center. It was a fascinating place. To go back, and my wife and I have gone back to the 9-11 memorial and everything else, it really hits you emotionally, especially if you've lived through that time. You can remember what it was like. What it meant for America was that we were no longer naive enough to think that we were Surrounded by these big oceans that would protect us from this type of thing happening here. We needed to take a more proactive approach in the way that we protected our populace, the way we protected our country. You know, and I am happy that law enforcement has done that, that the intelligence agency have done that, but I'm also very proud of all the work that our peers and colleagues in the AML community, the sanction screening community, and the compliance community overall have done to help further that, those efforts. But I will tell you that the anniversary, the 20th anniversary of this year is a dark moment. It's a moment of reflection. It's a moment of, of thought for, the, for everyone. We need to think about not only the people who have lost their lives, but everyone that was impacted, whether they were directly impacted through a family loss or they were emotionally impacted by what actually occurred. Uh, because I can tell you, we had not had something like that happen in our country to that scale up until that point. And it really affected a lot of people in more ways than, than we'll ever know.
3: We are at the end of this episode, but I wanted to thank you again for joining me on this Look Back on 9-11 podcast series. Thanks so much again. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this first episode of Looking Back at 9-11. Over the series, I'm going to talk to people who were personally affected by 9-11 and also talk about some of the legal and compliance changes that occurred because of 9-11. One thing I would ask you to always remember is that the United States was attacked on 9-11. We were attacked by a non-state actor and that non-state actor attacked us in our financial capital in New York and also attacked us in our political capital of Washington, DC. We went to a war footing and properly so. In this first episode, I visited with Gabe Hidalgo. I wanted to have Gabe really lead this series off because he had one of the most personal stories about how 9-11 impacted him. He was very open in talking about the tears, the tears from both he and his wife, for those who lost their lives and loved ones on 9-11. But I was also impressed by Gabe about the decision he made to be a part of the fight against the war on America via his career change. He was an insurance coverage lawyer and moved to become an AML compliance specialist. For the last 20 years, he's been in AML compliance. And Gabriel's really clear about how he wanted to make a personal difference in the war on terror. He wasn't gonna strap on a gun. He wasn't going to law enforcement, but there was a way he could contribute personally and he made that change. I hope that people will remember that Whatever war you want to fight, whether it's the war on terrorism, whether it's the war against corruption and bribery, whether it's some other war, that there's a way that you can personally make a difference. And Gabe has certainly made that difference since 9-11. I hope you will join me tomorrow when I have Juan Zarate. Juan had been a anti-terrorism prosecutor at the Department of Justice and Just before 9-11, he moved to the Department of Treasury, and he was part of the team that led the effort to expand Treasury's role in fighting not only money laundering, but also terrorist financing, and he has some very poignant reflections on what 9-11 meant to him on that day, and equally poignant were his remarks on what 9-11 means 20 years later. Thank you for joining me, and I look forward to visiting with you tomorrow.
1: This series was produced by the team at One Stone Creative, proud partner of the Compliance Podcast Network. Listen to more excellent podcasts at compliancepodcastnetwork.net and learn about One Stone Creative at onestonecreative.net.